Hello Footy fans, we've got a lot to cover and digest over everything that happened during the weekend. Without further ado, let's get into the latest episode of Spark on the Podcast. So Joshua, how you doing, bro? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. The weekend was great. A lot of interesting stories to talk about. So as it is now, I know we've got a lot to cover. I was excited to watch some of the things I saw during the weekend. So what do we have for today? I mean, first we look at Arsenal and just analyze the shambles that they look to be in right now. And then a lot of interesting things happened in the Serie A as well. Real Madrid's defense in shatters, PSG's defense in shatters, although PSG are winning with the bad defense they have. So there's a lot. All right, let's get into it then. Okay, so, I mean, what better place to start than the London Derby that took place at the Emirates Stadium? Now, before kickoff, the whole world knew that Chelsea were favorites to win. Now, it might surprise some people to know that the bookmakers, stars, aka betting companies, had Arsenal at four odds to win in their own stadium. I mean, if you have up to four odds to win in your own stadium, it shows that you are not a good team. And nobody was surprised that they lost to Chelsea. So, where do Arsenal go from here? It's actually shocking to know that they, they were giving four odds from the bookmakers. Because that four odds, is, it seems like Chelsea, they were facing a team like Norwich. Because that's the kind of odds Chelsea... Will will be given anytime he meets opponents are very very needy. So at the end of the day, I just think Arsenal. Looking at it, they had so many injuries. Players were out due to COVID. Players were out for one or two reasons, but they were still able to compete for the first 20 minutes. I think for the first 20 minutes, Arsenal played really well. Then all of a sudden, they lost it. There was there was no way back, and the game. Found out the way found out. I think what, what really shook me was the back two that he picked, Pablo Mari and Rob Holding against Omeli Lukaku. Now, Omeli Lukaku is a strong guy who also is fast. But then he didn't even have to use his speed in this game. He just bullied Pablo Mari especially. And I know Pablo Mari won one or two deals, but overall he was totally destroyed by Lukaku. And then the manager didn't try to change personnel there. Then you saw Quirantini at left-back tucking in too tight to the centre-backs and leaving the wing, his wing position exposed. And that was how we saw the, the two goals basically were through that side. The ball from his James to Lukaku to tap in and also his James's goal. So as good as Quirantini was going forward, I feel like he was one of the players that cost Arsenal in this game. And then you have... Lokonga, inexperienced. You have, I mean, Martinelli, who I don't even think is fully fit and got injured towards the end of the game. So I think, all in all, you can say they are missing players, but at the same time, how many key players are actually missing? Because I think it's just Abumayang, Odegaard, Party that you can really call starters. The rest are not sure starters. I mean, the rest you can call are um, Magales, Okay, okay, plus um, Ben White, so that's four starters. But the rest are not really key players. And even Abumayang played the game, so just three players that didn't play. And I don't think those three players would have made much of a difference. 
Well, I think you mentioned the starting defenders for Arsenal. I think one, one, one thing that, that um, stood out for me is the partnership because we saw that they were not able to cope with Lukaku's physicality. And at the end of the day, I think it's easy to single out Tierney because the both, both goals came from his position. Day, I don't think he had no help from his players. He was trying to co- cover for um, his centre-half because the centre-half were not doing the jobs they were supposed to do. So most times he was pulled out of position. So that's why he left that space. But I just think it was the difference to me between Arsenal and Chelsea on, the na- on, on, the, on that day was just that Arsenal looked like they had no clue of what they were doing because, they, as I said earlier, they lost it after the first 20 minutes. While Chelsea, they looked like a team with a clear plan. They were well-drilled. And the plan, they executed it perfectly down to the seat. So it's just something that... And looking at it, I just think going forward, we won't see that the centre-half partnership we saw in that game going forward. I think if Gabriel is bad, Gabriel walks into this thing straight away. Yeah, I, I agree that obviously the defence has to get better in terms of personal and it will get better when the injured players come back. But you touched on Tierney having to cover for the centre-backs. I think that is a problem from Ateta because then if Tierney is covering for centre-backs, then someone should be covering for Tierney. Now, is either Shaka was told to cover and did not cover, or Ateta did not even bother to tell Shaka what to do. So, I don't even know who I'm to blame here. But then, enough with Arsenal. Let's touch on Chelsea now. Arsenal weren't all bad, right? Chelsea did some good things too. Yeah, exactly. You've got to credit what Chelsea did. I think what what was put out for me was when um, there was a point in the match where the camera switched to the bench. I, I saw Chelsea's bench. I was like, wow. This team looks very good. Just look at their bench and look at the players that are on the pitch already. I was like, man, this team, this team are seriously going to challenge for the league. The way Chelsea played, uh, I was very impressed. That's that's the sign of champions for me. The thing is, Chelsea, every time they look at it, they're going to score. And defensively, you couldn't break them down. You couldn't get any clear court chances against them. So if you can't get clear court, uh, clear court chances against a team like Chelsea, and and a team like Chelsea at any time when they feel like they, they can open up their opposition. That's, that's, that's the making of the champions to me. And then now they now have a goal scorer in Lukaku. And I think Lukaku could have easily gotten a hat-trick if not for some, some, some brilliance from Leno and some maybe one or two selfishness from Rhys James himself. Yeah, and I think Mount too was selfish, but not to Lukaku. It was... I can remember an incident where Mount should have passed to Kai Havertz in the box, but he chose to take a shot. But at the end of the day, it didn't cost the team because they won quite comfortably. So, yeah, well, moving on. Now, Manchester United were president to the high heavens after their 5-1 route of Leeds on match day one. But all of a sudden, they can't win Southampton. What's going on at United? Well, it's no, it's no surprise. I think everyone that watches the EPL will know this. We expected... Manchester United to, to drop points against Southampton, for being honest. Because when you look at it, the game against Leeds, Leeds are a team that would like to go man for man. They play very expansive football. And, and you know, United being, being excited to get the fans back and playing a team like Leeds, who 
who is open. So it was it was a game where people were getting carried away because of the kind of performance United had against Leeds. So now where you see a team like United, what they are made of, what they are really made of is when they meet teams like Southampton. Obviously, United should be winning teams like Southampton if they really want to challenge and be called title contenders. But seeing how they played, imagine what Fred was doing in that game. That's the worst performance I've ever seen from a footballer in a very, very long time. And you could see, you could see how Fred was. And not only Fred, Fred, Fred wasn't the only problem for United. Um, Martial as well. Martial couldn't play well. He wasn't at his best. He was even subbed off earlier in the second half. I think overall, the only players that actually stand out was Paul Pogba and Mason Greenwood. They were very, very good on that afternoon. But I think it was a game where, that's what I've been saying when people compare Bruno to um, KDB. If KDB was there, you see the effect of KDB. But Bruno, Bruno wasn't in that much at all. He was hiding, basically, for the majority of that game. Well, I think... First of all, I point the finger at the manager because now I know that you have to try to make everyone happy in terms of rotation. So he brought in Matic, he brought in Martial. But why on earth will you bring in Martial? What form has Martial shown towards the end of last season or in pre-season? Or, I mean, why should Martial come in? Now, of course, he came in for Dan James, who is not a fan favorite, but at least Dan James gave... Dan James being present allowed Greenwood to play as his forward, where he's, I think he's at his best as a forward. And then you had Greenwood going to the wing to accommodate Marshall, who was ineffective. And you had Matic, who was too slow in the middle of the park. So I think just rotating for rotation's sake cost them. Now, I agree with you to an extent when you talk about Bruno, because we didn't really see much from him. It was a case of the forwards weren't clicking and so Bruno himself wasn't at his usual best. But I think overall we can say that United need to know their first level and stick with it most of the time. Now by that I mean the coach needs to know his first level and stick with it. And also Maguire was shocking. I mean this is the club captain but you could see towards the end of the game he almost caused them a goal and Adam Armstrong just missed it. A good save from the head. Southampton could have nicked the game right at death. So I think a lot of people have even overlooked that maybe because it's United's captain, everybody just... Now there's an assumption where everybody is saying Varane is coming to bench Lindelof and no one is questioning Maguire. But we saw Lindelof, not that Lindelof was great, but we didn't see mistakes from him as much as Maguire in this last game. So I just, I think it's, an, it's one to keep an eye on how Maguire develops because I think he gets away with a lot of mistakes. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, because when you look at Maguire, he, he's one where he, he's good in some games, and some games he can be very, very meaty. And you, 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 right, as you rightly pointed out, he almost cost them, if not for a very good save from David Daher. So I just think the manager himself didn't cover, him, he didn't cover himself in glory, because some of the changes he made, like the United fans that were screaming at him to bring on Donny van der Beek. I don't understand why he didn't bring on Donny van der Beek because clearly um, Matic and Fred were not working very well. It wasn't effective. So he needed a plan B. So I don't understand why he can't just switch up things 
I think it's now clear that he clearly has an agenda towards Donny. And it's not fair. And I think if United wants to win the league, they need to make sure that everyone is participating. Because when you look at United's bench, they have the players that can impact the game. Tell me why you'll be bringing on Lingard from the bench, where you have someone like Donny sitting there. Like it's, it's some, sometimes I don't understand the thought process of some of these managers. Well, to be fair, Lingard was brilliant last season, or the second half of last season on loan at West Ham. And so maybe he thinks that Lingard is the person that is going to carry over to this season, not the Lingard of before that was bank average. But the thing is quite, I think it's quite interesting that he chooses to play with two holding midfielders against lesser teams that obviously you know that you're going to dominate these teams. I think against such teams like lower bottom half teams, you could easily start just one holding midfielder and you have your two ball playing midfielders who can drive the team forward and add some creative spark. Now, I think that's something that he's not going to change anytime soon because he has done it throughout his stay at United. But I think it's actually not the best thing for the club. I think people like Donny van der Beek can give them an extra dimension, like you mentioned. But, well, he's the manager and he's still being given time. So let's see. Now, we're victorious against Burnley. No real surprises there. But uh, there's something interesting that Klopp said after the game. He talked about the rough challenges in quotes, how he felt like his players were manhandled a bit by the opposition and then the ref didn't come to their rescue. Now, is it just a manager that wants everything to go his team's way? Because we know that smaller teams tend to be more physical against the bigger size. Like, we know Stoke, when they were in the Premier League, we had this thing of, can you do it on a rainy night in Stoke City? Now, not because they were great quality or because they were quality and physicality together. But Klopp is trying to take away the physicality of the small size. So how do the small teams compete with the big teams if they are not physical? Um, we all know how Klopp's thought process is. I just think at the end of the day, one, one, one of the reasons why everyone has been so excited and hyped up about this season in the Premier League is that now the physicality of the game is back. We touched on this at one of our episodes when we when we said so about some of the rules, the rule changes we're going to see in the Premier League, and one of one of them were that the referee will allow the game flow more because of um, football is still a contact sport at the end of the day. So the only two people complaining out of all the millions of Premier League supporters and watchers is just Klopp and Soska. Soska complained about it as well because he was trying to make the point that um, Bruno Fernandez was fouled for the first for the Southampton goal. So it's one of those things where because he doesn't favor you at that point, you might want to complain about it. But at the end of the day, Belgio Van Dijk was physical with some of the players he faced. So I, I just think you can't just have it both ways. Yeah, yeah, you have to give and take, basically. I just think at the end of the day, you should be happy with the performance of the team. Um, Liverpool played very well, very entertaining football. Salah, who I captained in my FPL, Played well, but he didn't quite give me what I wanted. He got a goal that was chopped off due to the VAR and offside decision. By the end of the day, looking at what Trent was able to do, even um, Schmikas himself, like, they were very impressive. Even Van Dijk, Van Dijk looked as if he's back to his very best. So, a very impressive and entertaining football from Liverpool. And I, I can't wait to see what they're doing in their next fixture. 
Oh, their next result is against Chelsea, so that was one to really look forward to. Now, you touch on Salah being, well, I mean, he was my captain as well, FPL. Let's not even talk about it. Let's just pretend it never happened. I think the interesting quote about um, Klopp and social was, Klopp called it wrestling, social called it rugby. And social said that, I, now let me paraphrase what he said. He said, we can't go from one extreme like basketball to another extreme of rugby. So obviously in basketball, physical contact is not allowed at all. In rugby, a lot of physical contact is allowed. So he thinks because he got the ball from Fernandez that football has turned to rugby. Well, I guess that's just the bias of being a manager. You have to stick by your team no matter what. Now, around, I mean, should we even be talking about this? Manchester City cruised past Norwich 5 0. More than cruising, actually, they hammered them. And Gabriel Jesus with a lovely performance on the wing. And I mean, Jesus turning into a winger when they are not even going to get the striker, it seems, because Hurricane seems like he's going to be staying at sports now with the statement he put out on Twitter. So it's very interesting what the future holds for Gabriel Jesus, but City as well. We obviously know what the future was for them. More wins. Yeah, exactly. Looking at their performance against Norwich. Yes, you could say uh, they met Norwich and, and it's against Norwich, but still, you still have to put in that kind of performance. And City, they were brilliant. They looked like the champions of England. And I was even happy for Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish played well. I think that's his best performance in a City shirt. And he even got the goal, so... He knew little about the goal, but I was still happy for him that he got the goal. Um, everyone was brilliant. Maris came on. Maris did his bit. Sterling as well came on from the bench. Like City, the way they are playing, they, it looks very frightening. And it was very impressive to see. But from, from the other side of the coin, Norwich perspective, I think you have to be very worried for, for Norwich, considering that amount of goals. And I just think if Norwich continues, with the way they play, the stubbornness of trying to pass out from the back when clearly the opposition is better than you in doing that philosophy and even trying to pressure and win the ball high up the pitch. I think it's suicide for them to be doing that in every game. And I, if they continue like that, it might be a very quick road back to the championship. Yeah, yeah. I had Norwich as new down favorites to go down for me and I'm sticking by it because... Like you said, stubbornness of Daniel Farker. And I mean, it's good to have a philosophy, but at the same time, you should know when it's not working. There's a time where sticking to your philosophy turns into naiveness. And I think now it's just plain naivety from him and his boys. Now, over to another fixture that really was breathtaking. We saw West Ham beat Les- 4 1, red cards, harsh red card, maybe, but. Well, maybe not harsh, but it was accidental. But at the same time, it was dangerous play from Ayose Perez. All in all, it, a very solid performance from West Ham. Yeah, it was, it was a very solid performance for them. I was happy for um, Antonio. He became West Ham all-time goal scorer. He celebrated with a cardboard, a cardboard cut of himself. So it was very nice to see. And Antonio really put a smile in my face in terms of FPL. Because my FPA was looking very bad at that point. It was too man gloomy. So he tried. He gave me the, point, the points I need. And overall, it was very impressive performance from West Ham. And looking at it, it's two wins out of two now. And the, and the first game they played, they came from behind. The second game, 
they, they had to struggle a bit before they get the, before they got the goal and they got the goal a very exciting time I think it's it's a very fun period now to be a West fan. Yeah, exactly. And apart from Antonio being informed, Sai Berama also seems to have found a new lease of life, scoring and assisting in the game. Now, Antonio's celebration was very interesting because he didn't just celebrate to the cardboard court, he actually kissed the cardboard court on the lips. Wow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was just crazy. Talk about self-love. Um, so elsewhere in the Premier League, we saw Astibila beat Newcastle 2-0 comfortably. Crystal Palace yet to score in their two games after their 3-0 defeat to Chelsea opening weekend. Now a goalless draw with Brentford. Leeds and Everton a 2-0 draw, entertaining fixture. Brighton Watford, Brighton with a 2-0 win. Bissouma outstanding. Now we saw Wolves lose to Tottenham 1-0 through Delhi Ali penalty. But I think the most interesting thing was that Kane was back, or Kane is back. So, and now we know that he's staying at Tottenham, so we'll see how that turns out. Yeah, definitely, we'll see how that goes. So now, over to Spain. I mean, where do we even begin? Is it Barcelona? Let's start from Barcelona. Now, Barcelona drew 1-1 with Athletic Bilbao and I mean, the first half performance was very underwhelming from Barcelona. We had Inaki Williams, Vonin, Gerard Piquet, and especially Eric Garcia Raget. And I mean, if Eric Garcia is the future of Barcelona's defense, then I'm a bit worried for that defense. For the Athletic Bilbao fans, I think they will be excited by the performance. But as a Barcelona fan, that, ex- that performance was embarrassing. Clearly, from the first whistle, we, we, we saw a side that was. At the back foot already, Atleti Bubba had a clear plan. They tried to press Barcelona, cover the spaces Barcelona tried to operate from. And Barcelona had no answer to what, what Atleti Bubba were trying to do. We kept on giving the ball away. We couldn't play out from the back. The goalkeeper was shaky. And that spread throughout the whole team. Brett missed the first clear chance of the game. All in all, it was, it was a performance where I don't, I don't like blaming players. But I think the manager has to come out and take responsibility because looking at it, Eric Garcia didn't have the best of times, like you mentioned, during the game. Yaki Williams was on his case throughout the game. Even he, he later got sent, sent off by Yaki Williams' younger brother who came on in the second half. And looking at the way the, the entire thing is, I think it's Kuman's fault in the sense that um, hours before the game, Garcia received a message that his granddad has passed away. So why will you play a player that clearly they just told that kind of news? Clearly he won't be at his best mentally. So you need to bring in someone else. And looking at it, it showed during the game. And all in all, I just think if I, if I keep on going, you see that the manager didn't make right decisions in certain areas. And overall, Kuman, Kuman should come out and take responsibility and should be doing better. The only good news or the only positive you can take out of the game is just that Frankie Guillaume stepped up in the second half. He played very well. I was excited to see him. And as well, Memphis Depay was a bit good as well. So, all in all, I just think those are the only exciting things you can take out of the game. But overall, Barcelona were embarrassing. 
Yeah, I think another positive for me is that Pedri finally got rest. He was taking off the second half. I mean, that guy has played a lot of games in the last one year. So I think finally getting a bit of a builder might be a good thing for him or would definitely be a good thing for him. Memphis, like you said, looks like he's going to be the new hero of Barcelona. Let's hope he can continue that way. So Real Madrid also drew away to Levante. Levante getting a red card, but they were late in the game. So, I mean, now, this was very interesting because Madrid started well, got an early goal, but then they seemed to lose their way. What happened? Um, I was watching the game. I didn't quite understand what happened. Earlier, earlier in the game, Levante were trying to do their bits, but they were not passing the ball accurately. Remaji got their goal. And as soon as Remaji got their goal, I don't know where Levante found the confidence from. And they got the equalizer. And from there on, they scored again. And that game was very entertaining to see. And one thing that stood out for me was Vinicius came on from the bench and scored twice. And Vinicius' second goal was very, very beautiful. I don't understand the technique. Maybe he didn't mean it. And maybe it was one of all those goals where players just try something and he was able to pull it off. It was so surprising to see that Vinicius would be Real Madrid's play, best player. For Real Madrid to have Vinicius as their best player on that day, you should know what that means for them. Well, well I, know, I know how highly or how lowly you rate Vinicius, but I think it was really good in this game because... I mean, that second goal, he would tell you he meant it, obviously. Players always say they mean everything. But, well, I mean, sensational goal. And a very good performance all around, apart from the goal. Now, I worry about the dilemma between do you start Vinicius or do you start Hazard? Or then, is it even Bill that drops out? Because I think someone has to drop out for Vinicius to start. He's in too good a run of form to be left on the bench. I think looking at it, I think it's Hazard. Hazard was very, very needy. Hazard is nowhere near his best these days. So I just think Hazard would be more comfortable coming on. And I think that would be good for him considering the kind of injury he has had. So I think if they should manage Hazard well, later on towards the busy end of the season, I think Hazard will now hit his form and I think he will now get back into this starting eleven. Well, we'll wait and see. Atletico Madrid... One at home to Elche with the goal from Angel Correa. But I mean, the keeper, what was he thinking? I mean, God. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's one of those things at the end of the day, mistakes have to be made for goals to be scored. So, <laughs> as a coach, you can't, you can't coach players from doing such a thing. You can only hope that they don't go out there and embarrass the badge. Well, I mean, like you said, you can't coach against those things, but I mean, just what a pass from Rodrigo de Paul. I mean, we touched on him being a brilliant signing for Atletico in the previous episode, and he's proving us right so far. So we'll see how, the, I mean, we'll see if he can continue in that pain of form. And now, the Serie A, a lot happened. Can you tell us what happened in Serie A this weekend? Oh my God, the Serie A was lovely to watch. I enjoyed watching the Serie A. I think the Serie A might just be be the second best league in the world right now. I enjoyed watching the end this weekend. Um, Inter played very well. They didn't, it was as if they didn't actually miss anyone, as if they didn't sell Lukaku, as if they didn't get rid of Conte. So Inter were very, very good. I was impressed with what they, they were able to do. They, they scored four goals past Genoa. Edin Dzeko was very, very good. He played well. 
um, Vidal came from the bench and he had a goal and an assist. That, that, that's a very good performance from him as well. And looking at other fixtures like um, AC Milan, AC Milan, I was watching the game on Monday and they were very, very good. They played well, especially in the second half. They could have even scored more. And, but they were unlucky. The game just ended 1-0. And moving on to teams like AS Roma, 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 they were good. They were good. I can't, I can't even lie. They played good football. And I was surprised with what Tammy Abraham was able to do. He got two assists on the night. It was very impressive. I think VR was in action for a lot of, of that match because there were, there were red card incidents. There were offside calls that needed VR's consultation. And VR was, was very crucial in the match and was vital in the match. I think you saw... Um, the biggest one, the one with the, one of the goals back and forth, that was Udinese Juventus. Udinese Juventus was was a match where different embarrassing things happened. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think I think I know where you're headed with the embarrassing things you said. Ronaldo's goal being chalked off for offside last uh, the last minute. And then after he had taken off his shirt and gotten a yellow card for taking off the shirt and then the was still cancelled. So that might have been a little embarrassing for him. And also for Juve, I mean, you want to start on the right foot with the win, but unfortunately for them, they couldn't do it. Ronaldo left on the bench. Interesting because we had two two different stories. We had that Ronaldo himself asked to be left out. That, that would make him like a hypocrite because he put out a long-winded statement on social media about how he wants to stay how uh, they are disrespecting his name, disrespecting the club, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And now we're hearing that he asked to be left out. But then the coach came out and said that he was the one that chose to bench Ronaldo because Ronaldo was not match fit. And I'm wondering here, how can Ronaldo of all people not be match fit? We know how Ronaldo is as a professional. He takes perfect care of his body. Now, if there's one player you're betting on to be fit, it's going to be Ronaldo. So who do we believe here? Um, I think it's a classic case of managers trying to protect his player. So we saw that Ronaldo is not happy. He, he wrote an epistle on Instagram. And now in the past 48 hours, we've seen that George Mendes is trying to offer him to different top clubs in Europe. And Man City, he being a huge favorite to sign him. So it's just, it's just one of those things where Ronaldo is clearly is not happy at, at what is going on at, at Juventus because he feels that Juventus are not in the right frame to compete for the top prize that he actually wants, which is the Champions League. So we see uh, the entire drama of both, but I just think it's a classic case of Allegri trying to protect his player, which is Ronaldo. Well, if, if he joins Manchester City, I'd like to see our United fans handle that because, well, we know the rivalry there. Now, over to Liguan, some interesting things happened. Now, I find it very fascinating how a club thinks that they can just attack, attack, attack without defending. And obviously, the club, I mean, is PSG because they want that verse for goes to two. Now, I'm sitting here wondering, after, especially after watching clips of the game, man, how can you defend like that? I mean, that is unacceptable. You have... Players not even caring to track the runners or verse. You have midfielders not even... I, I don't get it. Do you think they can just outscore everyone by four or five goals? 
that's the thing. You know, when you asked me about Chelsea, I told you that the sign of champions is where they look like they, they are not ready to concede you know, no matter what you throw at them. And they look like they are always going to score. I think the PSG defence will be their undoing this season. That's why I'm still having second thoughts about them actually winning the Champions League. Because for you to win the Champions League, obviously your attack needs to be good, but defensively, you need to be solid as well. So looking at the way they are conceding goals right, left and centre, it's, it's a bit worrying. And I think Pochettino needs to fix it quickly because the Champions League games are becoming thick, thick and fast. Yeah, and I think he has another big headache on his hands because, oh, did I just say headache on his hands? Well, he has a big headache. Um, Mbappe seems like he wants to leave or we're being told he would be open to leaving. So he's not forcing for a move, but he'll be open to joining Real Madrid. If you're PSG and Pochettino, would you consider selling? Because, I mean, the offer for Madrid is quite ridiculous. Offering 160 million euros for a player that has just one year left on his contract. So, what do you do in this situation if you're PSG? Um, the thing about this is, you can say, you can go after Madrid and say that Madrid, they are, they are doing a foolish business in the sense that we all know that Mbappe has, he has openly said this on numerous occasions that he will play for Real Madrid. And knowing how hungry Mbappe is, definitely Mbappe will leave for free next summer and they can get him. Instead of paying this huge fee, they are paying for him. Um, that, that obviously he has just one year on his contract. So looking at it, I just think PSG, obviously, we know that they don't necessarily need the money. But if I'm them, to be honest, since it's just business, I'll probably take it. 160 million is a huge money. They can reinvest it before the window closes. If they can take it, reinvest it. And I think they will be good at the end of the day because they still have Messi, Neymar, Maria, the mix goes on. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I agree with you because, I mean, you cannot turn down 160 million for Mbappe as good as he is. And he has, now considering he has just one year left on his contract. Now, I think this is quite astonishing for Real Madrid because one would think that they would have learned a lesson from spending over 100 million on the player that had just one year left on his contract i.e. Edin Hazard when he was at Chelsea. The same thing about to happen again. Now, I'm wondering here now, if you might help me a bit, because Real Madrid lost their two starter defenders in Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane. They have not signed any defender apart from Alaba on the free. And we all know that Alaba isn't the greatest in terms of his defensive awareness, although we know on his day he can be impenetrable as well. Now, you lose those two guys and you think the solution is at the opposite end of the pitch. How does that work? We all know how Real Madrid's thought process is. They like signing that superstar, that next Galactico that will get the fans excited. And you know that they are with their new stadium, they need to launch it to something. But someone said this on Twitter, the 160 million, if they can spread out that money and reinvest in the squad, for example, get Kunde, who is 80 million, sign Kunde. Then um, when you sign Kunde, you see you're still left with 80 million. You use the 80 million, and uh, the many 80 million, reinvest it, sign a top-class midfielder like Kamavinga. Kamavinga is not that expensive. You can get Kamavinga for 40 to 60 million. 
you can now use the main money, you can keep the change, then probably next summer you get Mbappe for free. You don't need to pay anything, just a sign-on fee, which I think will not be quite expensive for a club like Real Madrid. And that will be good business at the end of the day. And that will go far in the long run for them, if you ask me. Well, I think logical thinking might not be the way that the players works, but we'll see. Now, I don't see them being favourites for the Champions League, even with Mbappe. So, I'm wondering, is just the La Liga worth 160 million euros to them this season? Because they're obviously going to get the player. So, getting him now will cost you 160 million. So, is the La Liga worth 160 million? Maybe it is to him. Well, we'll wait and see how that one pans out. Now, finally, I mean, astonishing scenes in the game with Nice against Marseille being called off. Crazy scenes, the fans, the players. I mean, can you just walk us through what happened? So, I think um, there was a set piece and the Marseille player, by you, I think you waited to take the set piece from a position where the fans were quite agitated. So, there were things thrown at him and I don't know, understand what he was expecting. He clearly, clearly picked up some things from the floor and threw back at the fans. And that caused chaos all around. The fans came onto the pitch, stewards left, right and centre, trying to stop the chaos. But it was just chaotic and the game had to be called off. Now, I think it's quite sad that we got to this point because now watching clips of the game, you could see that even before the game started, the warm-up, the keeper... Marseille's keeper complained to the referee during his warm-up that things were thrown to him. Now, that was before the game started. The ref did nothing about it. They didn't even announce it to the speakers in the stadium to say, okay, guys, you need to stop this or else the game will be called off. No, nothing happened. Nothing was said. Throughout the first half, it wasn't as bad, but it was still happening occasionally. In the second half was where it really got heated up. And I think... For Dimitri Payet throwing it back, I think we all know that's not acceptable. Players are not allowed to enact revenge or retaliate, even against their fellow professionals on the pitch. So that's why you see when a player is fouled and then he retaliates, he's the one that gets sent off, not the person that fouled him initially. And it's the same thought process that has to come into play where he's looking at the fans. And I think, like you said, I don't know what he was thinking. Obviously, you're going to be angry if you remember. I think self-control is the best way to go in that moment because if he hadn't done anything and he had still walked away and said, you know what, we don't feel safe here, then no one will criticize him. But I think now he's going to be banned by the league. We don't know for how long. I think the fans too need to be cautioned or banned because that's unacceptable behavior on their part. But I think the astonishing thing for me is the fact that the league, uh, the league authorities are saying that Marseille will be deducted three points and will be given a 3 0 defeat for forfeiting the game. Did they expect Marseille players to continue the game after what happened? Because apparently the game wasn't called off. It was Marseille players that, that said they don't feel safe, they cannot continue. But the league are saying they expected the players to continue. What do you think about that? Honestly, this is, this is new to me. I didn't even know that the game wasn't actually called off. I, I was thinking the game was called off. Because um, I, I, was, I was reading and the source I, I read from was saying the game was called off and will probably be played on a later date. So 
looking at it, although I, I think it would be quite harsh if they go on to the deduction of points. But I don't know. I don't know as it is because obviously it wasn't something that was intentional or, or planned by Marseille themselves. It was just something that go out of control. So I think it would be very, very harsh if they go through the route of deducting points from there. Exactly. I think the league authorities are walking down a very dangerous path because now you're trying to set a precedent where... Now, picture this. Another fixture. Imagine PSG are facing a lesser team. So, the fans of that lesser team would just think that, okay, if our team scores PSG 1-0 first, we can cause trouble, we can throw whatever it is we want to throw to the players, and then the PSG players will say, they don't want to continue the game. I saw our team get another one new victory over PSG. So is this what they want for the fans to just decide that they want their team to win? I think this. if they do this, then I think the league is going to go to shreds. I honestly do. Yeah, I, I believe so too. And I think it's not, it's not a good precedent to set from a league association. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the episode. So it was nice doing this. Any last words, Leonard? Yeah, it was nice as always, Josh. So there you have it, guys. We appreciate you guys always coming on and spending time with us. From Joshua and myself, it's goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.